out for scams. And I thought, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty intuitive. I mean, I think I could probably figure this out, right? Well, so I began to inquire about some of these dogs. And let me just tell you this. I didn't get tricked, all right? No one's tricking me. <laughs> However, it's amazing how hard people will try to dupe you on this thing. I mean, they'll tell you these sad stories like, you know, grandmammy died and I have her dogs and I'm just trying to get, get them somewhere. I'm just trying to get them a good home. They want pictures of your yard and they want to know about your family, your social security number, because they want to make sure you can take care of these dogs, right? <laughs> you know, one person even said to me, would you mind if just sending some pictures every now and then so I can see how the dogs are growing up, how they're doing? I'm thinking, is this an open adoption or something? I mean, come on. The other day, I was actually not at home, but Amy was home with the kids, and one of my kids was on one of those school-endorsed websites, you know, those kind of websites where you play a lot of games, but really what you're doing is you're learning something, whatever that works, I love it, but all of a sudden, the computer starts beeping, and this voice comes out saying, warning, warning, your computer is infected with a virus because of pornographic material, and... If you try to shut this off, your computer's going to blow up and your house is going to start on fire. So you have to call this number and we'll walk you through how to fix it. Sure. That's how it works, right? People are trying to scam us. They're trying to deceive us. In fact, our world is full of deception. So from Ponzi schemes to identity theft to people trying to take advantage of your generosity, telling you lies about their situation, our world is full of deception. Now, in our passage today, John is going to alert us. He's writing to warn the church of the deception that is front and center. The deception that they are facing. And he guides us as we seek to discern truth. If you will, please stand. We're going to read together in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray now that you would help us. We pray that your people would receive your word today. We pray that your people would be equipped through the preaching of your word today to test the spirits. We pray that you would be magnified as we humble ourselves before you and confess the uniqueness, the salvation, and the lordship in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Now this morning we're going to focus on this passage by asking three questions of the text. And then we're going to transition to a final so what question in terms of application. So the first question is this. What does John mean by spirits? 
What does John mean by spirits? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So what does he mean by spirits? Now, the first thing we have to know is this. John is not talking about some kind of mystical substance or kind of a ghostly apparition out there. He's not focusing on something that's kind of, you know, ghostly and ghouly. That's not what he's doing. Frankly, by spirits, John is referring to teachers and teachings. He's referring to teachers and teachings. He's calling us to evaluate the utterances. He's calling us to evaluate the things that we hear. He's calling us to be discerning. Now, in the context, John seems to have some sort of a formal teaching in mind. You know, like maybe a worship service or a gathering where there is the official teaching of the Word of God. This is what's in mind, okay? Official teaching. That's not to say we don't have to be careful when it's not official. He's not trying to say you just let your guard down when it's unofficial. No, he's saying uh, we need to be always discerning and test the spirits. But in the context, it seems that John has uh, a worship service of some sort in mind. John is suggesting that behind every teaching is a spirit. John is suggesting that behind every teaching is a spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God empowers faithful and true teaching. The Holy Spirit of God empowers and energizes, is behind every uh, teaching that exalts the, the, the person of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit of this age, what Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6, or what John writes here in this passage, the demonic is behind what is false, what is moving us away from truth. What is moving us away from the true identity of Jesus Christ. Now, these verses point us back to chapter 2 in 1 John, don't they? John there warned the church to beware because many antichrists have come. Many antichrists have come and they want to bring ruin upon you. They want to destroy you. They want to make shipwreck of your faith. Jesus warned of false teachers, didn't he? He said in Matthew chapter 24 that false teachers would come. Peter wrote of false teachers. In chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he said that false teachers will come. In fact, they will arise from among you. This is what's taking place there in Ephesus to where John is writing. You know, they were here, they were of us, but they went out from us because they were never really of us. They, they had arisen, these false teachers had arisen from among them. These Gnostic heretics who denied the person of Jesus said, no, 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 Jesus isn't fully God. They denied Him. They would not confess that Jesus is fully man and fully divine. Now, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul, as he is leaving the region of Ephesus and going on to his next area of ministry, wanting to uh, get to his next place, calls the elders of Ephesus together. And listen to what he, what he says to them in his farewell speech. Acts chapter 20. I'll just start reading in verse 29. 
verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Church, this is exactly what's taking place. This is why John is writing this letter to this church, the very ones that Paul warned, look, fierce wolves, they're going to rise from among you. They're going to try to twist things and lead you astray. And this is what's happening. And this is why John is writing this letter. Paul calls them fierce wolves, beasts that aim to destroy the flock of God. By twisting the truth. This brings us to the second question this morning. How do we test the spirits? How do we test the spirits? Now, the situation is such where John is imploring them to use discernment. He's imploring them to beware of these false teachers. Why? Because these false teachers were twisting the truth and seeking to lead people astray. These false teachers were twisting the truth and leading, seeking to lead people astray. Friends, it's like they were on a mission trip, only it was like a reverse mission trip. right? We go on mission trips and, and we proclaim the goodness of God. We proclaim the truth of God. We proclaim the gospel, the good news, that there is hope, there is life, there is forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. But the false teachers were doing the opposite. They were turning people away from the truth. They were turning people away from who Jesus really is. They were twisting things. They've gone out into the world to spread their lies and to keep people in sin. But John says, test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. John Calvin writes, don't receive any doctrine or teaching thoughtlessly and indiscriminately. Don't receive any teaching or any doctrine thoughtlessly or indiscriminately. Now, notice that John isn't saying that we're supposed to uh, be dismissive of everything we hear. He's not saying, listen, don't believe everything you hear. He's not saying, just let it all go. He's not telling us to be skeptical about everything. You know, the truth is, some people wear skepticism like a badge of honor. They think that their skepticism makes them spiritually mature. In fact, sometimes they put skepticism or they couch skepticism in in a spiritual gift you know it's the, it's the gift of discernment but oftentimes people who are skeptical really are just guilty of spiritual pride and arrogance self-righteousness is often behind skepticism so john is telling us to test the spirits truly listen in, in one way we can't believe everything we hear but that's different than skepticism skepticism says, i'm not going to believe anything That's not what John is saying here. He's telling us to test the spirits. And in this, it implies that we are to believe and to receive some of what we hear, right? Now, to test means to examine so as to prove the genuineness of something. To test means to examine so as to prove the genuineness of something. In this time frame, uh, pottery was a big deal, but pottery could get broken. So people who were sellers of pottery or makers of pottery, they would put it back together again by using wax as some sort of an adhesive. 
So to test the genuineness of pottery, people would light a fire under it, and the wax would eventually melt away, and the the brokenness would be seen. At this time, uh, monetary coins would be weighed to test their value, to see if it is what it says it is to be. In early America, when gold was a big deal and everyone was panning for gold, they would find these nuggets and they would take a bite on that nugget. And if it was soft, then it was true gold. If it was fool's gold, it would break your teeth. Now hear me. John isn't saying that we're supposed to go around biting people or we're supposed to go around weighing people or we're supposed to go around lighting a fire under people to see if what they say is genuine. That's not what he's saying. No, what he's saying in verse 2 is that we test the spirits by noting the doctrine that the teaching promotes. We test the spirits by noting the doctrine the teaching promotes. We ask this question, what does this teaching say about Jesus Christ? Again, it's important to understand the context. How the Gnostic heretics were leading people away from who Jesus truly is. So we ask this question, what does the teacher, what does the teaching have to say about Jesus? Does the teaching affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Danny Aiken suggests that to confess that Jesus has come in the flesh and is from God is essentially an unwavering acknowledgement and forthright declaration as one's own position. Now this is really important. If we are to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that He is from God, what we're saying there, the, the key here is confess, what we're saying is this is what I believe. This is my declaration. I'm not wavering from this. This is what I believe. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has come in the flesh. Jesus is fully divine. He is man. He is God. And that's really important, friends, because confession, apart from this being our wavering, unwavering conviction, is not true. Hear me say this. Satan has orthodox theology about who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The demons know that who God is, and they shudder in fear. The difference is they haven't submitted to this. They haven't confessed this as it is their own unwavering conviction. They haven't embraced this as truth. You think about this, when Jesus is casting out demons, what do the demons often say to Him? We know who You are. What do You have to do with us, O Son of God? What do You have? But they didn't submit themselves. They didn't confess this so as to agree with it and embrace it for themselves, friends. See, this test reveals the deceitfulness of Gnosticism, but it also debunks Mormonism and Islam and Judaism and every other religion that belittles the person of Jesus Christ. There is truth, and His name is Jesus. But there's another test implicit in these verses. Look again with me, if you will, at verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They, meaning the false teachers, are from the world. So when they speak, the world, that is those apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with Christ, therefore... Uh, still under the wrath of God, condemned by their sin. They listen to these false teachers because they're of the same origin, of the same, uh, they speak the same language. Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to God. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what is he telling us? He's saying test the spirits by noting the people who follow the teaching. Test the spirits by noting the people who follow the teaching. By observing the characteristic or the character of those who follow a certain teaching, we have insight into where the teaching originates. Into what's being promoted, right? The world, that is those who are opposed to Christ, opposed to righteousness, buy into the values of the world and what the world promotes. False teachers speak the language of the world. This is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 15, verse 19. Jesus told his followers, and if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you're not of the world, so the world does not love you as, your, as its own and does not listen to you as its own. Friends, it's not surprising that the prosperity gospel has such a a wide audience in America, is it? I mean, who doesn't want to have their ears tickled? Who doesn't want to be told, look, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be famous and healthy and everything to go smoothly and perfectly in your life. That's not surprising. It's not surprising that this message finds a great audience. It's not surprising that in churches all across America today that are preaching this, they're at full capacity. Because who doesn't want to hear a message like that? Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many travel on it. On the other hand, if the teaching you are testing finds an audience with Christ-centered and Christ-exalting people, the apostle says it's because you're speaking the same language. That's what he says. You're going to listen to us. God's people will listen to the Word of God. God's people will listen to, uh, to the truth. They'll hear it. They'll respond to it. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 47, He who is of God hears the Word of God. Of God, So there's two tests, but there's another. Previously in this letter, John has already uh, spoken of this test. He tells us to take note of the moral or practical implications of the teaching. We're to take note of the moral or the practical implications of the teaching. We're to look at the life of the teacher. Does what this person is teaching promote righteousness? Promote good works? Or is there a... Is there a disconnect between the way the teacher lives and maybe even what the teacher is promoting? Does the teaching promote a righteous life of love and sacrifice for the glory of God? So these are the tests that John gives us. However, we should note that not every false teaching revolves around specifically the person of Jesus Christ. So what do we do in those instances? What do you do in those cases? Well, Moses suggests a few things. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, Moses tells the Israelites to reject anything that uh, would lead them away from full dependence and loyalty and allegiance to God. Move away from anything. Don't believe anything that would cause you to worship and depend on God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says to reject any prophet who claims to speak authoritatively for the for God, but yet what he says doesn't come true. What he says doesn't bear itself out. No, he says to reject them. And you know what the sentence was for that? It was death. For someone who would speak authoritatively for God. For God. But yet speak untruth and lead people astray 
the sentence was death. The Apostle Paul says that if any teaching alters the gospel by salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that person is to be anathema. That person is to be condemned of God. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. So, the spirits are teachings or teachers that we are to test, and we're to test them with these with these clear doctrinal tests and truth tests given to us in Scripture, which brings us to the final question, who is He that is in us? Who is He that is in us? Paul says, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Well, He that is in them, or He that is in us, if we are in Christ, is the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. He that is in us is the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. Look again at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now why does John write this, this sentence here? I think he writes it to comfort them to encourage them. In the onslaught of the false teaching that's coming their direction, John is writing to encourage them, to give them hope. He wants them to know that their faith in Jesus and their faithfulness to the truth reveals that they are from God and they are not of the world. Now, while there is some minor differences or disagreement as to what John means by overcome them, What seems to make most sense, at least to me, is that they haven't bought into the lies yet. They haven't bought into the lies of the false teachers. In that sense, they have overcome them. They haven't let go of the truth. Now, at times they may have felt like they were behind that ski boat and they were sinking, but they never let go of the rope of truth. They held on to it. And in holding on to it, they have overcome. But how do they overcome? It wasn't their own strength, friends. That's why John says that he who is great, he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They've overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is more powerful than the Spirit of this world. So their victory, their faithfulness to God is due to the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. It's due to the power of God. Their victory is because of the faithfulness of God to save His children, right? God's Spirit enables us to discern truth and to reject erroneous teaching. God's Spirit enables us as believers, those who are indwelled by the Spirit, to discern truth and to reject erroneous teaching. Which, by the way, is one of the primary functions and purposes of the Holy Spirit to remind us of truth and to point us to Jesus. Now, this has implications for our perseverance. This has implications for our perseverance. Friends, just as God saves us, God keeps us. Just as God is the author of salvation, He is also the finisher or the perfecter of salvation. God is in control. And no weapon formed against His children will prosper. We're saved by His grace from start to finish. Always. So now let's draw some application as we bring this sermon to a close. So what? Well, here's the first thing, friends. Don't be a spiritual simpleton. Don't be a spiritual simpleton. 
The only way that we can rightly discern truth and test the Spirit is to know truth. Friends, this is how the Spirit works. The Spirit of God gives us understanding as we read and meditate and pour over the Word of God. And then that truth is received and embraced by us. And in time, God uses that truth to transform us. And then we're faced with with what is false or what is erroneous, but what is coming to us as something we're to accept. God's Spirit brings it to mind. God's Spirit uses it as the shield. Remember the shield of faith? Ephesians chapter 6, Satan throws his darts at us. The, the, The false teachings come to us, but we have the shield. We have the shield because we know the Word of God, because the Spirit of God has allowed us to embrace it. Don't be a spiritual simpleton. Spiritual simpletons don't read the Word of God. Spiritual simpletons don't know the Word of God as they should. They just go with the flow, but they don't ever personalize and personally appropriate the Word of God. I mean, it's God's Word that forms the measuring stick for all spiritual tests. And brother and sister, you are called to know the Word of God. And God's Word is enough, friends. It is sufficient. What does this mean? It means that every person who professes to be a Christian ought to be reading the Word of God regularly and meditating on the Word of God regularly. But some of us get into this habit of like, you know what, I know what that says. I've been a Christian for a long time. Yeah, I know what that says. I know what Matthew chapter 1 is all about. I know what Matthew chapter 5 and 6. I know the Sermon on the Mount. Why do I need to read it again? We read it again and again and again and again because, friends, we need it again and again and again and again. And we need God's Spirit to transform us, and He transforms us when we are in the Word of God. It's through the Word of God that we are able to discern the spirits, to test the spirits, to know what is truth, to know what is error. So what will you do? Hear me. Spiritual simpletons are gullible. They're gullible. They believe whatever is told to them, if it has some sort of a spiritual flair to it, And gullible is a nice word. I could use something different. So why don't we, as we are about to cross over into a new calendar year, why don't we make it our goal to read through the Word of God in 2018? I don't just mean, you know, read your three chapters or four chapters a day and be done with it. I mean, read it and think about it. And then digest it. Meditate on it. And apply it. Because that's exactly what God's Spirit wants to do in your life. Will you do that? Secondly, be aware of spiritual scammers. Be aware of spiritual scammers. Right? Deception is happening all around us. Both formally and informally. It's in our everyday conversations when people at our workplace or our school are telling us how great something is and how they're living for this or how you can find a lot of meaning in in athletics or in games or in whatever it is. But we know it's a scam, friends. It happens informally all the time. 
You got to wear the right clothes. You got to drive the right car. You got to live in the right neighborhood. You got to do the right activities as a family. And it's a scam because it's not bringing meaning and hope to our lives. It happens formally. It happens in our political system where morality is redefined and marriage is redefined. It happens in our entertainment when our entertainment is telling us to pursue physical pleasure or materialism at all costs. Friends, it happens in our educational system. And I'm a proponent of the educational system. But we have to have conversations with our kids. Because if just left up to the government, there'd be no God at all. God is dead. This is the world we live in. Don't be deceived by spiritual scammers. Beware. While you are in the world, you are not of the world. So use discernment. And don't buy everything that someone is saying or someone is selling, even if they say it's the genuine peace. Third, love others with the gospel. Church, now we need to be on guard against coming calloused to the deception that's all around us. It would be easy for us to just kind of isolate ourselves and say, you know what, everyone on the outside, they're dangerous. We can't have any connection with them because we have to protect ourselves. Well, that's not what God calls us to. That's not what God calls us to. It would also be easy for us to fall into this self-righteous attitude that says, you know what, they're on the outside and they should know better. But friends, that's where we were until the grace of God found us. We're called to love others. Yes, we're not. We are in the world. We're not of the world. And while we're in the world, we're to love others with the gospel so that they too may come out of the world. So let's be proactive in loving people with the gospel. Let's warn people of the dangers of sin. Let's alert people to the realities of hell. Let's touch people with the love of Christ. Oh, may the saving message of the gospel be on our lips. And how do we do this, friends? Well, we do this in our relationships where we speak of truth. We do this in our acquaintances or our friendships where we invite people to come to church. We come to a a choir musical because they're going to hear the gospel. How simple is that, friends? How simple is that? May we boast in the grace of God, in the cross of Christ, in the blood of Jesus, with humility. Let's live lives that make much of our Savior and reject any notion that God has saved us because of our goodness. Friends, we would be blinded today if not for the grace and the love of God. So let's tell people that salvation is found in Christ alone. And let's not just tell people, friends. Let's give generously. Let's give generously so that missionaries all around the world can speak the gospel. Let's give generously so people like the Boners can can share the truth of Christ in a dark land, in Thailand, and everywhere on this earth. I'm convinced that one indicator of spiritual deception. Now hear me say this. One indicator that you are being spiritually deceived is found in how you utilize your resources. How you spend your money. Where you invest your money. Because if statistics are true, less than 30% of you in this room, in this church, actually 
contribute anything beyond mere chump change to the cause of the kingdom. Less than 30% of you. And what that tells me is that you're being spiritually deceived. You're buying into the lies of the world that says, you know what, I can find my life and I can find my hope in the things of this world. In attaining more. In having more. Friends, let's break that this year. Let's support the efforts of the gospel. Yes, through this church and yes, through our Christmas offering, our March for Mission, so that the gospel can be proclaimed here in Amarillo and to the ends of the earth. Next week we march for mission, so let's give. Let's declare that the gospel, that salvation is more important than the earthly treasures that we might seek to find or live for. It's more important to earthly comfort. Listen, there is a great need. Over 150,000 people die every single day. Many of whom, the majority of whom, will die and be ushered into an eternal hell because they don't know Christ. And many of these people have never even had the opportunity to hear the gospel because there is no gospel, there is no scripture, and there is no one speaking in their own language. They have not yet been reached. And some of us will still break, bank, some of us will still break the bank this year buying Christmas presents, giving glory to a myth. Rather than contributing to the glory of God. Forgive us, God. Let's be different. Let's be different. I want to challenge you. This year, buy as many Christmas presents as you want to buy and make it great. And then add up what you spend on all those Christmas presents and give more to the March for Missions. Some of you do that already, and praise God. Listen, this is a generous church, right? You give a great amount to this. You give a great amount to this, but can we give more? Can we declare that the gospel is more important than the things that we can buy for ourselves? Can we give more? I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and we have a time of response. And if you have questions about the gospel or you want to be baptized or you want to know more about membership at Trinity Baptist Church, now is the time to come and we'd love to talk to you about those things. Some of us need to just surrender ourselves and worship and seek God's grace and wisdom because we're facing difficulty and trial. Some of us need to just make the commitment to focus on the Word of God and to lead our families in the Word of God. We pray with me. Lord, help us. Give us grace. Lord, thank you for raising up a church of people who love you and who seek to worship you with all their lives. And I pray that that would be evidenced in how we give generously and sacrificially to support this March for Missions and how we contribute to the local church and to the gospel going forth here in Amarillo and to the ministry needs and to the expenses of the church. But Lord, we pray that what is driving all of that is a great love for you and a great love for the gospel. But I pray that you would, that you would speak to your people Your word tells us that your people will hear and your people will listen. 
So speak to your people and call your people to yourself that, that we might come out of the world and into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond as God leads you?